Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC Fight Island 6, which is headlined by Brian Ortega and the Korean zombie Chan Sung Yung in a great featherweight fight that should really tell us, uh, you know, who's going to truly be in the top five and who's up there for a title contention. Uh, as the landscape has changed quite a lot since we saw Brian Ortega go out there and fight Max Holloway in his last fight before taking a two-year hiatus. So uh, a lot of uh, intriguing fights on this. There's a lot of chalk on this uh, uh, event as well. So we'll try to see if we can dissect any uh, any dogs that look like they have some value. Uh, but, you know, Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Mark Strigo is an interesting fight. Um, Jung Young Park against John Phillips is a great fight. Uh, that should be just a fun, sloppy, slobber knocker of a fight. Uh, Julian Robertson is always fun to watch. He either goes out there and gets killed or, you know, goes out and kills. Uh, the return of Thomas Almeida. If you are unfamiliar with Thomas Almeida, I highly suggest you go back and watch some of this guy's fights. He's a very, very interesting prospect. He did fall on hard times, one and three in his last four, but uh, only losses to top, top competition. So I'm very much looking forward to the rejuvenated Thomas Almeida coming back. Uh, James Cross against Claudio Silva is a great fight. Catlin Chikagin versus Jessica Andrade is going up to 125. Cyril Gunn taking on UFC newcomer Antti Delaya. Uh, that should be a great fight. And then obviously the main event, uh, Chen Sung Yung versus Brian Ortega. Very, very fun fights. I can't wait for this weekend. All right, let's go over UFC Fight Island 5, which was the last event. And we came out on a solid winning end. So Let's start off with the lock of the night play. We had four units on a parlay of Tagir Ulenbekov and Edson Barboza. Let's start off with Ulenbekov. Obviously not how I expected a minus 366 to fight. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'm sure anybody that bet Ulenbekov was sweating their balls off just like, just like I was. And uh, disgrace to that uh, that judge that gave that a 30-27 for Ulenbekov. Because at least one of those rounds was for Bruno Silva. Um, you could arguably say two rounds were for Bruno Silva. But regardless, I'm happy that we got the W there. But I'm not proud of it. And then we got uh, Edson Barboza to cap off that parlay. Uh, you know, went out there and did what he did. I was very confident that he was going to go out there and have that type of performance. And that's exactly what we saw. So solid win for Edson Barboza there over Maquan Americani. We had four units at minus 129, so we cashed for 3.09 units. Very, very happy for that. Uh, what should we go to next? We had 1.3 units on the... Uh, Marcus Perez and Drikus Duplessis fight to start round three at minus 125. I thought that was a solid spot. That loses, you know, the the, the durability of Perez is kind of what I was banking on in that fight. However, Duplessis has some bombs in his hand, so he's able to get the finish there. Uh, we also had two units on the fight. Doesn't go to decision for Marlon Moraes and Corey Sanhagen. That was more of a... Um, that was more of an insurance for that uh, for that fight in case Marlon Moraes went out there and just you know took Corey Sanhagen's head off within the first five or six minutes. That's more so what that was for. I knew that Corey Sanhagen would go out there and get the finish himself, but I just wanted to be sure that okay, in case Moraes does get the victory, uh, you know it's not going to be by decision. He's going to get a finish, but he didn't. Uh, and even if he did get the victory, it would at least cut into the two point five unit bet that I had on Corey Sanhagen. But we cash on the fight, doesn't go to decision from uh, 1.05 units. And we also hit on Corey Sanhagen, two and a half unit uh, bet at minus 132. He profits from 1.89 units. Solid spot there. Uh, made a lot of good money on that fight alone. Um, then we go over to uh, Ben Rothwell versus Marcin Tybura. Had 1.5 units at minus 150 on Tybura, or sorry, on Rothwell. The funny thing is, going into that fight, I, I, I 
wanted to bet Tybura, but as soon as I got out of uh, taping that fight, I kind of just went over to the Rothwell side. You know, I truly thought it was going to be much tougher for Tybura to get this fight to the ground. Uh, but he did even better in that second round than I thought he would, especially with the fight playing out on the feet for the most part in that second round. But in that third round, he got the fight to the ground and just absolutely pummeled on Ben Rothwell. Very impressive performance from Tybura there. His chin held up, uh, his durability held up, uh, and Ben Rothwell truly seems like he's over the hill at this point. So uh, I'm only, I'm glad that I only put 1.5 units on that, though. So uh, solid victory for Marcin Tybura. And then lastly, the dog of the night play, we had Ilya Tapuria. 1.5 units at plus 160, goes out there and does the damn thing, cashes it for 2.4 units. Happy to hit that one. You know, Tapuria is a guy that I've been watching for the last two to three years. Solid prospect who's slowly going to come into his own, and I'm not sure that will ever see him at plus money again i think that a lot of people are starting to take notice of this kid and uh yeah solid performance coming in on very short notice and still going out there and going to solid three rounds against yusuf salal and showcasing his grappling his jiu-jitsu that has been highly touted over the last couple of years so i'm looking forward to what the future holds for mr Ilya tapuria so all in all we cash 5.64 units on this event uh, very happy with that 44% ROI, uh, solid, solid event. That two, that's two straight winning events for us now. Getting right back into the game. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm very much excited for this next card as I believe that there's a plenty of uh, uh, money-making opportunities on there too. So looking forward to that. Before we get into the breakdowns, I always want to make sure I plug the Patreon. Uh, the the support is just overwhelming. I can't believe you guys are just killing it for me that much. You guys, it truly means a lot. You know, what I mean, I'm getting closer and closer to doing this thing full time, uh, and and you guys, it's all thanks to you guys. You know, what I mean, you guys are making it really, really worth it. So. Um, like I said, the Patreon, uh, you guys get early access to the breakdowns. So as you see in the podcast, they're obviously previously recorded. But as soon as I finish recording them, I post them straight to my... Um uh, to my Patreon. So those the Patreon members get the breakdowns nice and early before anybody and they truly get to capitalize on some line movements that uh, may be worse before the podcast actually comes out. Uh, so uh, yeah, make sure you check that out. You get all the official bets as well. Uh, you get a best bets and props article that drops every Friday uh, that gives you the best spot for every single fight. Um, and then yeah, like there's just a nice little community there too. And something that we started over the last couple of weeks was a Discord channel. Um, and we're having a lot of people we already have about 40 people on there and uh, people are really enjoying it you know it's much better than having to post every day on patreon rather than just to go into the discord and see everybody just chatting away talking about some matchups uh you know any leans or anything that i have i post onto there i try to post it on the patreon as well too but the discord channel is so much easier to work with so i and then we obviously have our live event chat too so uh when the fights are going on we just kick back and we all just you know whoever is just you know soloing it uh we just chat through the live event you know try to spot any live betting opportunities uh and just talk shit you know what i mean it's a great little community we have everybody's respectful everybody's positive and uh that's uh that's the way i like it so uh i'm happy to 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 provide that content for you guys patreon is killing it like i said um and then also make sure you guys hit the subscribe button if you guys are watching on youtube because uh, i am over the thousand mark but i still have my next goal of five thousand I want to hit that 5,000 sub mark and then go to 10,000 and then 50,000 and then 100,000. I know it's going to be a long time before I ever hit 100,000, but trust me, I'm working for it. I'm never going to stop. I'm never going to stop. It's going to be so much fun to do. So yeah, make sure you hit the subscribe, check out the Patreon. That's the best way you guys can support my work and support me um, and, uh, you know, help me achieve my goal of doing this full time, which I believe is really, really close, really fucking close. So close. And it's all thanks to you guys. All right, I'm going to shut the hell up now, and let's get into the breakdowns for UFC Fight Island 6.
Jamie Malarkey versus Ferraz ZM. We got minus 140 on Malarkey and plus 120 on Ferraz. Uh, let's start off with Jamie Malarkey, who's coming off a war, absolute war against Brad Riddell way back at UFC 243. And he's taken off a, sig- a significant amount of time, uh, maybe not as much as Thomas Almeida, but he's been off for just over a year. Um, he was scheduled to fight Jalen Turner back in February, I believe it was, but he had to pull out. Uh, but, uh, you know, given the the type of damage that he took in that brad riddell fight it's kind of better that he actually just you know stayed out stayed at home a little bit longer but uh this is a solid fight for him to come back to and probably get back onto the winning track um and capture that first ufc victory uh you know he has a solid all-around game he's a tough gritty guy uh, i believe he trains with uh, dan kelly who's his head coach um you know has a again solid all-around game very strong guy solid striking uh isn't really like he's a jack of all trades type of guy, but like a middle of the pack jack of all trades type of guy. Um, solid striking, solid grappling, very uh, quite strong too, uh, and has a solid amount of experience as well. Um, Ferris Zm on the other hand, coming off a loss to Don Madge way back at UFC 242, so he has a slightly longer layoff than what Jamie Malarkey is dealing with. Uh, but that was a weird fight where we didn't really get to see the true extent of you know how good or how bad Ferris actually is. Um, you know, that was a fight that pretty much 95% of it took place in the clinch uh, with Don Madge attempting to get Ferris down. He had a lot of trouble getting him down just due to the length of Ferris. Anytime he tried to pick him up and try to slam him or something like that, Ferris's legs were already down before Don Madge could really, you know, emph- emphasize the, the, the slam part of it. So, um, you know, he showed a solid takedown defense. He eventually got taken down later in the fight, but nothing really of significance landed for Damage. But he did enough in terms of controlling that fight to be able to take the decision victory there. Um, what I've seen from... So so you really have to go back to like the regional scene for ZM to see what he's about. And for a guy with his frame and his length and possibly his type of striking arsenal, he's more of a grappler. Like he wants to go out there and impose his grappling and his wrestling uses striking to open up the grappling get these guys to the ground and kind of control them from there he has a couple of submission victories under his belt too so that's something to look at uh but i find that it's going to be tough for him to really pull that type of game plan off against jamie malarkey i think malarkey's just seen too much um he's uh, again i believe he's the better all-around fighter if anything zm might just have the youth here but like outside of that i find it hard to believe that malarkey is going to take a take a loss here um i think that we see malarkey pretty much just grind him out for three rounds uh you know if don madge was able to do it uh, up against the cage i feel like jamie malarkey could have the same type of success there and i think we'll see malarkey even be more successful with getting this fight to the ground so that's something to keep an eye on um at minus 140 though i'm not 100 sure i'd even pull the trigger on malarkey I'm not the highest on him, which means that I'm not high at all on ZM. So ZM could absolutely absolutely go out there and just flip the script on everybody and be like, all right, this is what I'm actually capable of when I'm not getting my back put up against the cage. But unfortunately for him, I think that's what's going to happen. He's just going to get stifled there. He's only 23 years old. He's still filling out his body. You know what I mean? He has such a weird and lanky frame that he's still not really that strong. He doesn't really have much definition in his body either, which doesn't really translate to strength. But I just mean like it It just shows that sometimes he struggles when guys are trying to, you know, go strength for strength with him. Uh, and I think that's what, what's going to happen here. I think Jamie Malarkey is just going to be too good all around. Um, you know, Frost isn't really like a one-punch knockout type of guy. Um so I think that we'll see Jamie Malarkey really go out there uh, and grind this victory out, maybe grind it out a little bit harder than Don Madge was able to. So I'll go with Jamie Malarkey to win this fight via, first, uh, via decision.
Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Mark Striegel. We got minus one, minus four twenty-five on Saeed and plus three forty on Mark. Let's start off with Saeed Nurmagomedov, who's coming off a loss to Harney Barcelos, who, in my opinion, is a top five guy who just doesn't get to compete often enough to truly fulfill that top five potential. So to lose a decision to uh, to Harney Barcelos is not a bad thing at all. Um, before that, he was on a two-fight winning streak in the UFC. Obviously, he was on a giant winning streak before coming to the UFC. Um, you know, beat Justin Scoggins via split and beat Ricardo or Ricardo Hamosh, I should say, uh, via finish halfway into the first round. Now, up coming up against Mark Striegel, um, this is a different type of matchup. Like, uh, you know, we, we know what Saeed's about. He likes to strike. He's more of a Zabit than he is a Khabib, uh, you know, coming from that coming from that part of the world. Uh, trains with Mark Henry and those guys. Um, it's funny because, like, so, so those Dagestan guys and those Russia guys, I believe he's from Dagestan. I just want to confirm that. Yeah, from Dagestan. Those Dagestan guys have like two camps. Like they got, uh, you know, Zabit and Saeed and those guys and Timur Valiev who go over to Mark Henry. And then we got Khabib and uh, Islam Makhachev and those guys that go over to AKA, like two completely different sides of the US, which is hilarious. But uh, yeah, it seems like the guys that go over to Mark Henry are a little bit more striking oriented. Uh, you know, they like the spinning stuff. They like the flashy stuff and they like uh, playing from the outside. They're not really wrestlers per se. Um and that's where I think things get interesting here. Because Saeed Narmagomedov hasn't really blown me away with anything. Like his win over Hikaru Hamush was great and all, but we only saw two and a half minutes of it. How would that fight play out if it went a little bit longer? I'm not saying he would have lost or anything, but I want to see how it would have played out a little bit longer. Like Hani Barcelos played that fight perfectly. Like he just waited, waited and picked his moments and then eventually even got takedowns later in the fight too. And I say takedowns because that's going to be something crucial for Mark Striegel's game. That's kind of his game. The guy is a strong brute that likes to go out there and just try to take guys down. You know what I mean? He tries to get the, the finishes ASAP, but he's not able to. Or if he's not able to, then, then things get a little bit sketchy for him. Like, for example, the Reese McLaren fight. That was a fight where he was doing very very good in those first two rounds. And then that third round, he was just so gassed out from trying to finish Reese that he was just sucking wind. And Reese was having a field day with him on the ground. You know, if that fight hadn't had come to a finish that probably was a 10-7 round like he was pounding on his head had his back had his head full mount had everything but then eventually got that rear naked choke three minutes into that third round so um we've seen his gas tank fail him unfortunately there's that ji sung kim fight that i'm not able to get a hold of that's a, a decision victory for him uh and even the the kichukov fight not able to get to film on that either but uh you know i'm interested to see how his gas tank looked in those fights um you know his his most recent one was a uh, a no contest low blow to Shinichi Shimizu where he you know it was just a no contest and Shimizu was not able to continue uh, but the, like I said Strigo looks like a brute uh, uses his strength very effectively his kicks are nice his striking is decent but it seems like he does his best work when the fight is hit when when the fight hits the ground and he seems strong enough to get these guys down so he doesn't really need like the most technical approach to getting these takedowns he can just strength some of these guys to the ground um, he also has a victory over Kai Car France back in 2014 we're coming up on the close to the, the six year anniversary of that but he was able to get that fight to the ground and get the rear naked choke within two and a half minutes of that fight that that was back when kai car france was seven and four so very early in his career so since that fight he's only lost to reese mclaren but the guys that he's beating have very sketchy records i mean five and oh okay solid loses to reese mclaren who was seven and three beats a 13 and four then beats a six and nine uh that was actually a fight that he had 
technically lost. I believe that got overturned to a dis, uh, disqualification for him. Uh, Owen O, Ji Sung Kim, 5 and 1, Do Jiom Kim, or Lee, and then obviously his last guy, who's 32, 22, and 11. Um, I still think that this line is a little bit wide. Uh, as skeptical of Striegel's um, gas tank, um, you know, maybe Saeed in the third round is kind of live. That's something that you guys could look at. Um, but, uh, you know, Striegel could possibly get this done in the first round. You know, he could possibly get this down quick and, and pull off a submission victory that way. Um, uh, we just haven't seen enough on the ground from Saeed. You know I mean? The, the, there's a little bit of unknown there. Uh, you know, if he if Striegel does get this fight down nice and early and he's, you know, he has his full capabilities about him, they're not sweaty or anything like that, is he going to be able to pull off the choke? Again, I think he is much stronger than Saeed. So that makes things even more impre- uh, more intriguing so i do think that this line is hella wide minus 425 hella hella wide my only concern here is the cardio i like betting on guys that have uh you know respectable and legit cardio uh, just enough cardio to get them through 15 minutes without looking like they're dying and unfortunately for strigo sometimes it looks like he's dying in that third round and you don't want to do that against a guy like saeed namagomedov who seems like a guy that could take advantage of somebody who is struggling in the third round you know those spinning back kicks to the body will definitely add up but he has to be very careful when he throws them earlier in the fight as i believe that that would be mark's uh entry to get in on his hips and try to drag this fight to the ground so um i don't think saeed is proven enough to really be a minus 425 favorite i think a lot of people are just jumping on the fact that his name is nirmagomedov and assuming that he's a lock for the night that's not that's not the case here so i'm going to pass on this fight totally i will side with saeed nirmagomedov uh to win this fight via third round stoppage uh but this is a fight that you know by no means should you be parlaying Nurmagomedov in this spot um a lot of chalk on this card that you know should not be parlayed with anything uh and this is definitely one of them but I will still take him to win this fight maybe the under two and a half at plus 195 is damn plus 195 that's not a bad spot at all I love stumbling upon these things most most of uh Saeed's wins have come via decision but this might be the first time he's fighting somebody with as shit of a gas tank as uh, Mark Striegel in that third round. So maybe the fight doesn't go to decision as a better spot just to get that extra two and a half minutes plus 160. Not too bad. But yeah, I like Saeed to win this fight via third round uh, finish. TKO, I guess. Gadzimurad Antigulov versus Maxim Grishin. We got minus 380 on Grishin and plus 315 on Antigulov. The fight doesn't go to decision. It is currently minus 245, uh, and there is no over-under out as at the time of this recording. Uh, I'm assuming they're going to make it minus uh, over-under 1.5, with the under 1.5 being uh, roughly around minus 150. Anything better than that, I'd be very, very surprised. Uh, probably minus 130 even, but... Uh, yeah, I love that spot. So let's start off with Maxim Grishin, who was, uh, you know, making his second walk to the octagon here. Uh, he did fall in his first fight, which was against Marcin Taibura, who we just saw had uh, a solid and impressive performance against Ben Rothwell this past weekend. But uh, one thing to note with that fight with Grishin and Taibura is that that was a heavyweight fight. Grishin is normally a light heavyweight uh, and we obviously can tell that with him coming down to lay heavyweight for this fight against Antigulov. Um, the guy has a very impressive record, a very extensive record too. This is going to be his 41st fight, pro MMA fight. He turned pro back in 2008. And along that time, he's managed to have fights against Shane Del Rosario, um, uh, Alexander Volkov, who he actually beat back in uh, 2010. 
uh, Joaquin Christensen, former UFC fighter. Uh, he actually beat Sokoju in a kickboxing match. For those of you that are familiar with Sokoju, you know he's mainly a striker. Uh, Ray Lopez, Rodney Wallace, Trevor Prangley, uh, a lot of names. Uh, he lost to Magomed Ankalaev and then went on a ridiculous run up until that point that he lost to um, uh, Marcin Tybura back at UFC 251. But in that span of time, since like, what was it? So his third last loss was against a guy named Kenny Garner back in 2011. In that amount of time, he's managed to accrue 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 18, 2, and 2 in 9 years. That's a solid fucking record. When you actually look at this guy's fighting abilities and his style, he's a very... Uh, he's a well-rounded fighter. He's good pretty much everywhere. He can get the submission. He can get the knockout. He can get a decision victory too. Uh, you know, he shows solid takedown defense. He gave up three takedowns to Marching Tybura, but Tybura had to really work for those takedowns. And Tybura came in like 20 to 5 to 30 pounds heavier than him too. Um, so like even in that first round, he didn't really secure a takedown. And it wasn't like the... Uh, again, I, I got to figure out what the exact definition of a takedown is because in my opinion, I thought it was once your butt hits the ground, then it's a takedown. So when guys are on, a, you know, maybe when they're on all fours, that's considered a takedown as well. But when guys are in that weird position where it's just they're up against the cage, their back is up against the cage, but their hand and their knee is down. Is that really considered a takedown? But, you know, Marching Tybur really had to work very hard to get those takedowns, which is what my point is. Even Jordan Johnson, he fought Jordan Johnson twice, and Johnson had a tough time getting him down in those fights as well. You know, Maxim Grishin is a big, light heavyweight. That's why he was a little bit comfortable fighting at heavyweight against Marching Tybur. But uh, 6'3", 76-inch reach, uh, Antigulov is 5'11 with a 70 and a half inch reach. That guy's just dense. But Grishin, I like him all around. I completely understand why he's a minus 380, minus 400 favorite here. All around, he's a much better fighter than Antigulov. Antigulov is a solid fighter for two minutes, max three minutes. You know what I mean? Uh, but Grishin should have this fight all around. I, I don't think uh, he might give up the takedown first. And obviously, uh, you know, uh, Antigulov is a better wrestler than Marcin Tabura. Like, in short spurts, uh, Jordan Johnson has an extensive wrestling background too, so that's something to keep in mind in terms of Grishin's ability to keep this on the feet. Um, but Antigulov, you know, what I mean that that guy, the the one bet that I'm really looking forward to in this fight is the under. I, again, I know that it's going to be under one and a half, and I'm a little bit skeptical at times to play under one and a half, uh, but not when it comes to my guy Gadzimurad Antigulov. 24 out of 27 of his fights have finished under one and a half. One of those three fights that didn't finish under one and a half went over by nine seconds. You know what I mean? Uh, Maxim Grishin has finished 21 of his 30 victories. So I'm expecting Antigulov to, you know, he's not going to change 28 fights into his career, 27 fights into his career. He's not going to change. He knows that his cardio is limited. He knows he has a horrible gas tank. He's going to go out there and try to get uh, Grishin down ASAP, try to pull off a submission, try to pull off a TKO. Otherwise, he's going to pretty much lose his fight after the three-minute mark. Yeah, I mean, he he had a tough time putting away uh, Kutilaba. Uh, Kutilaba did a good job of continuously making Antigulov work even when he got him down. And then, uh, you know, within the two-minute mark, he was able to get back to his feet and really make Antigulov work. I think it's going to be tough for... I. I 
I, I'm gonna give this time to Gulov. I think he'll be able to get Grishin down first. But I think Grishin will do a solid job of getting back to his feet. And then after that, it's going to be really difficult for Antigulov to get him back down. And he will more than likely succumb to a TKO victory late first round, maybe even early second round if we see that second round. But uh, I don't see how Antigulov wins this fight outside of, uh, uh, outside of the first round, outside of the first three minutes even. You know what I mean? Uh, him to win by TKO, that prop is out. It's plus 1,800. I think that's ridiculous. You know what I mean? I, that's one of the, the paths of victory for Antigolov is a ground and pound. Um, for him to win inside round one is plus 600. If any, anybody is considering playing Antigolov, that's the play. Him to win inside round one. He's not winning outside of round one. So plus 600 is like the max value that you can get on Antigolov, in my opinion. Even though he's sitting at plus 310 or whatever it was, plus 315. It's it's not going to happen outside of round one, so you might as well just bet round one. But what I'm going to be betting and what I'm going to be hammering as soon as I can get my hands on that line is the under one and a half. This fight's not going over one and a half. You can say what you want about Grisham going to a decision every now and then, but it comes down to the main ingredient of an under to hit. And just like later in this card with uh, Julian Robertson, Antigulov is a one-round fighter. It was a less than a one-and-a-half-round fighter. Jillian Robertson is a under two-and-a-half-round fighter. You know what I mean? Not saying that she's like, her gas tank is horrible or anything like that, but she's either going out there and getting the finish or she's the one getting finished. And unfortunately, last time around for the Jillian Robertson one, it took more, you know, a minute more than under two-and-a-half for her to get the finish. But still, I don't think that has much to do with this fight with Antigulov. Uh, whereas Antigulov, I feel like, again, his gas tank is so shot and so shit, and he's not going to change his fighting style he's not going to go out there and be a conservative or anything like that because his stand-up is dog shit garbage too so even if he decides to go out there and just stand up i think grisham will be able to light him up on the feet and even with that pressure alone i think antigolov also uh his cardio is going to succumb to that pressure uh of grisham so regardless i'm going to take grisham to win this fight via via first round tko late first round tko uh and uh, the, the main play here is going to be the under one and a half. So uh, once again, I'd like Maxine Grishin to win this fight via first round TKO. Jun Young Park versus John Phillips. We got minus 220 on Jun Young Park and plus 180 on the white Mike Tyson, John Phillips. <laughs> I kind of wish that he kept that nickname when he came into the UFC, but I think he's gone with the Welsh striking machine. Yeah, whatever. Uh, let's start off with him anyway. So he's twenty-two and ten. Uh, his last loss is coming off of that shellacking that Hamza Chamaya put on him. Uh, it took uh, Hamza just over six minutes to dispose of him. So that tells you a little bit of the durability of John Phillips when it comes to punches. Uh, but when it comes to submissions, he pretty much gives those up. Um, well, not super easily, but those are a little bit easier to come by than actually trying to pound out John Phillips. But with the nickname the white Mike Tyson, or his previous nickname, I should say, you kind of figure out what his game plan is and why most fighters take the approach that they do whenever they go out there and try to fight him. So Charles Bird made no bones about it. Just went in there, took him down right away, and started getting to work with his jiu-jitsu. And about four minutes later, he finds himself in a rear naked choke and gets the finish. Kevin Holland, you know, doing Kevin Holland things, goes out there and thinks that he can strike with John Phillips for two solid rounds, 10 minutes, but uh, and he steps into that uh, third round and just doesn't fuck around either and goes straight for a takedown again. Makes sense. Jack Marshman, he's pretty much a carbon copy of John Phillips. So that was a fight where both guys were just going to be swinging for the fences regardless. It seemed like John Phillips was a little bit more willing to engage in that. 
and he dropped Jack Marshman in that first round. But the second two rounds was pretty much John Phillips just marching forward and trying to wing shots and land on Jack Marshman. But Marshman seemed to get a little bit better of the you know you know the crisper, the more accurate shots, not really winging at the at the wind as much. Uh, a lot of people actually had it scored for John Phillips, and I can see that in terms of him, uh, you know, marching forward consistently. But you got to count the the strikes that are coming back at him. So even if he's marching forward, you know you got to be worried about the strikes actually coming back towards you. You might be using that pressure against yourself. You know I mean, kind of like the Kevin Holland fight where every time John Phillips was moving forward, Kevin Holland was just binking him right on the nose. Alan Amandowski, that's the only win for John Phillips in the UFC. And that's a fight lasted 14 seconds. And that's the exact type of fight John Phillips has been looking for ever since joining the UFC. Guys that are willing to sling with him from the first bell. And that's what exactly Alan Amandowski did for some goddamn reason. God, I feel bad for everybody that had money on Amandowski in that spot. Um, you know, obviously Amandowski was a slight favorite in there. But still, like it, that's the worst game plan you could potentially go in against one of the hardest hitting guys in the UFC once he sets and is able to trade in the pocket and then Hamza Chmaev we obviously know what happened in that fight so we know what to expect with John Phillips the guy wants to go out there and he just wants to trudge forward and try to land big shots he's hoping that his opponents are going to sit in the pocket with him and throw shots as well too he has no ground game literally no ground game and probably one of the worst takedown defenses in the game as well so that's something to keep in mind. On the other hand, we got John Young Park, who's been, you know, a little bit. Uh, he's only had two fights in the UFC. Lost his opening one to Anthony Hernandez. That was a great fight. Um, had some success in that fight too, uh, and then found himself in an anaconda choke late in that second round. And then the Mark Andre Berriot fight was a very, very efficient performance. You know, mixing in takedowns with the striking, mixing in, uh, you know, even when uh, Mark Andre Berriot in that third round was the one trudging forward kind of like a john phillips uh park did a really good job of sticking his jab out there and just throwing shots every now and then again using that forward movement against his opponent kind of which i what i expect in this john phillips fight uh you know park has good fight iq the guy has bombs in his hands uh you know the, he's very efficient with his striking throws in solid combinations uh his one two down the middle is probably you know one of the better ones that you'll see from a korean fighter especially um you know he seems very well put together when it comes to an overall mma game you know when he needs to go for a takedown he goes for takedowns his takedown defense could use a little bit of work but it's not too bad his ability to get back to his feet is very impressive too so that's something that uh people should really you know keep it keep an eye on however in this fight against john phillips we know phillips is probably not going to go for a takedown unless he goes in there with a completely revamped game plan and completely revamped style after 32 fights which is more than not likely at all <laughs> um you know i think we see park just uh batter john phillips face for you know 15 minutes uh you know mixing a couple takedowns there to keep john phillips on the edge of his toes uh, or on the tip of his toes but you know, I, I truly see and understand why John Young Park is a minus 220 favorite here. Uh, if I feel like people are underrating Park a little bit here. Otherwise, I expect this line to be closer to that minus 300 range, uh, especially against a guy like John Phillips, who we all know is very one-dimensional and uh, is soon to get the boot from the UFC. And this could be the fight to, to give him that pink slip. But I think Park will go out there and put on a very efficient performance, you know, stand on the feet for a little bit and then mix in a couple takedowns uh, or the other way around. I feel like 
uh, he could pretty much have his way in this fight where he wants. The only thing he has to worry about, and you know, if that's the only way a fighter is going to win, is just with a one punch knockout or something like that. I'm more than willing to happy, more than happy to take my chances on the other guy who shows me a much more complete game, a solid gas tank, and the ability to get fighters down and and have decent top control. You know, what I mean, I, I don't think he Park has really faced anybody with the with the the lack of get-up ability that John Phillips has. So I think we'll see Park be a little bit more efficient on top than we've seen him in the past. Uh, but I just think that, the, again, the overall game, we've seen him go three rounds before. He's he's a steady, like his approach is steady from minute one to minute 15. You know, he, he doesn't try to swing for the fences cr- like crazily, uh, but uh, he is very efficient with his strikes. He knows when his opponent is hurt and he tries to pounce on them at that point. But otherwise, you just see him just efficient jab. Every couple of seconds, he's throwing a jab out there. And you see it on his opponent's faces. You know, they, they have bloody noses by the time the fight wraps up. You know what I mean? Because he's just continuously sticking that jab out there. And I expect him to have that same success here against John Phillips. In terms of uh, statistics metrically... Um, we got five. Did, I, did that even make sense? That probably didn't make sense, but whatever. I'm, I'm saying it. You guys know what I mean. So the height of John Phillips is 5'11 with the 75-inch reach, and we got 5'10 with the 73-inch reach for Park. Uh, that's another thing as well. I do give Park this light speed advantage too. So he's going to have to be careful in terms of getting in and out, but I think the ability to mix up the takedowns in these situations is going to allow him to be a little bit more comfortable on the feet. So... Yeah, this is as easy of a game plan that you can prepare for as a guy who just likes to wing shots. So as long as you're able to be efficient, get in there, get a couple body shots in there too, uh, I think Park should be safe. So I like Junyon Park here to win. Uh, I'm going to say a decision. I will give Phillips the fact that he he's a very durable fighter. So we'll see a consistent performance for Junyon Park over 15 minutes. And I really, really like him in this spot, especially at that minus 220 range. So uh, yeah, I like Junyon Park here to win via decision. Jillian Robertson versus Poliana Botelio. We got minus 235 on Jillian Robertson and plus 195 on Poliana Botelio. I was hoping that they were going to set the totals at two and a half. Unfortunately, it's at one and a half. The handicappers or the sorry, the odds makers are really getting on board with this Jillian Robertson uh, train and knowing that she doesn't like to go to a decision, whether it's her getting the finish or her getting finished. She's getting the finish or, or we're, we're cashing that fight doesn't go to decision prop. And that's the spot that I'm looking at for this fight. Minus 195. And that price just keeps getting better because it was over at minus 245, I believe, uh, and now it's worked its way back up to minus 195. Uh, I do like um, I do like Robertson here, though. So let's start off with Robertson herself. We know she just recently acquired her black belt under Dean Thomas. Uh, and he keeps saying that she's the most gifted athlete in terms of working, like being hardworking and grinding. But it doesn't really showcase in her athletic abilities. Like physically, she's not the biggest athlete or anything out there, or best athlete. But her her hardworking uh, ethic and her just drive to be the best uh, is allowing her to exceed in the jujitsu realm as much as she has, uh, which is why he believes that she's so deserving of that black belt. Um, and and you can see it in her fights. You know, what I mean, she she does enough to on the feet to be able to get this to get fights to the ground and then start to work her magic. You know, her salty, you know, her record is slightly salty at eight and four. But, uh, you know, pretty much none of her fights have gone to a decision other than her Cynthia Calvillo fight, which was pre-UFC, and then her Hannah Goldie fight, which was her first one. But since then, it's just been getting finished or finishes. And I love that style about her because you can, you know, you can pretty much always bank on the fight to not go to a decision. That's where it gets a little bit tricky with the over-under if that's the only thing you have exposure to. 
it's it's tough because she might not be able to pull it off in that first round. She might not be able to pull it out within that first seven and a half minutes. But I know it's going to happen. Whether it's her getting a submission or if she's not able to get a submission, that means that she's not able to get this fight to the ground, which means that Pugliano Batello is going to be able to, you know, go ham on the feet and possibly get the finish on the feet because it's going to look bad if uh, Robertson is not able to get this to the ground. Botello is just miles ahead of Jillian Robertson on the feet. You know, she's mean, she's nasty. She has a, a solid Muay Thai game, uh, uses kicks very well, uses uh, her punches very well. She has some solid power in those strikes as well, too, uh, as you know, seen in that Siri Kondo fight where she just bum rushed her 33 seconds into that fight. The Lauren Mueller fight, she took a little bit of a safer approach getting that fight to the ground and just grinding her out from on top. Uh, and then the Cynthia Calvillo fight is kind of the indicator for me as to why I believe that Jillian Robertson will win this fight. You know, we saw Calvillo get this fight to the ground and how kind of how easy it was for her to get that rear naked choke. Jillian Robertson is a lot more offensively minded in those situations, so I think she might even get it, uh, get it quicker if she's able to get the fight to the ground. Um, the fact that Botello tapped to a no-hooks-in rear naked choke made it very tough for me to think that she's going to pull off this fight. I truly believe that Jillian Robertson has worked on her takedowns and getting the fights down uh, to the ground where she's pretty much at her best, uh, and I believe that she'll be able to do the same thing here. Uh, you know, her strikes are decent, they're coming along, but we truly know that's not the place that she wants to be. She wants to be on the ground, she wants to start to pass your guard, she wants to get to full mount, she wants to rain shots from on top, and if she's not able to do that, you're probably going to turn over, give your back up, and she's going to choke you out that way. She has so many paths to victory on the ground that she makes, you know, these women, some of these women look like complete amateurs. Um, you know, my lock of the night play for her last fight was the under two and a half against, um, Courtney Casey, and she misses that by one minute. So why the hell don't you guys just put it back at two and a half? You know what I mean? It is what it is. But uh, they know that she is offensively minded pretty much all the time. Most jiu-jitsu players are position over submission. She doesn't give a shit about that. It's always submission over position for her. And she even says in one of her post-fight uh, interviews, I think it was the one against Sarah Froda, she goes, most people go for positions. I'm going for submissions. And it shows. And I, I love that type of style. I love that she's admitting that, uh, which is why the fight doesn't go to decision. Minus 195 seems like a steal. I'm going to see if I can load up on that as much as possible. But yeah, if this fight hits the ground, it's easily Jillian Robertson getting a submission. If this fight stays on the feet, I could see Pollyanna Vienna absolutely just mauling her on the feet. But I think there's a higher likelihood that we see Jillian Robertson get this to the ground and pull off a submission victory. So I do like Jillian Robertson to win this fight. I'm going to say second round, maybe first round. I'm not 100% sure. I don't want to mess with that over-under prop. But the prop that I do want to mess with is the fight doesn't go to decision. At minus 195, I think there's a ton of value there uh all thanks to jillian robertson so i'll go with jillian robertson to win this fight via second round submission and i truly believe that uh we'll, we'll see her dominate from the opening bell like i think she'll she'll get that takedown pretty early uh but it might take a little bit for her to work to get that submission um so yeah first or second round submission jillian robertson matthias gamrot versus graham kutateladze now, I pride myself on being able to pronounce some of these names, but man, that one's tough. I, I can't wait to hear the commentators try to go after that one this weekend. So um, th this is a fun fight. We, we got minus 290 on Gamrot, uh, plus six, uh, 245 on, on, on Gurum. And let's start off with Gamrot, who's 17-0 coming into the UFC with uh, a, a title over there in KSW. Uh, he's been uh, pretty much a wrecking machine over there. 
since he's made his debut he has a huge following over there he's headlined a couple cards for them uh and i was very very surprised to actually see him get the call up here to the ufc when he did uh because i thought he would be a ksw lifer you know what i mean and i don't mean that in a bad way because ksw is a huge promotion over there in poland and europe they start to expand their reach obviously pre-covid but uh they, they have a solid following over there and they get a lot of people into their packed into their stadiums and their arenas to watch their fights and you gotta believe that they're paying these guys just as well as two you know what I mean so uh but by no means is it an insult to say that i thought he was a ksw lifer with that said some of these fighters just want to have that extra bit of experience and have that extra bit of exposure by coming over to the ufc and really testing their skills really stepping up in competition so you know hats off to mateus gamrod i wouldn't even be surprised if he did take a little bit of a pay cut to make it over to the ufc but it is what it is. So he comes in against Gurum. Uh, you know, Mateus himself is a solid striker, very efficient, not really like a one-punch knockout type of guy either. He goes in there and just tries to mess you up, tries to fuck you up over the five rounds. You know what I mean? He His striking is so efficient, so clean, waits for the perfect opportunities to counter. Um, and, and like you could see it even in his fight against Norman Park. Uh, that went, what was that, uh, 13... 13 minutes of just completely picking apart Norman Park on the feet uh, and then eventually getting the doctor to stop it. Like, he really busted him up. It was really bad. And it's funny, too. It seemed like there was a lot of bad blood going into that fight. And uh, when Norman Park was trying to shake his hand after the fight, he's like, no, no. I'm assuming he was just trying to get him to apologize to everybody that he had insulted to le uh, leading up to that fight. But it is what it is. Uh, so he beats uh, Norman Park. And he actually fought recently because KSW has pulled off a show since COVID uh, back on August 29th. Uh, uh, he beat Marian Zielowski uh, via decision. Five rounds, pretty much same thing. Had some solid moments where he got on top of him too. Has solid pressure from on top. Good back game. Uh, is able to get the choke as well if that's something that he's looking for. Uh, solid submissions. But I really think he does his best work when he's the one striking and doing the work from on top. However, for this fight against Gurum, I think he's going to need to mix it up a little bit more. You know, Gurum himself is a solid striker. Has a lot of power in his hands. Throws with ill intentions uh don't really ever see him shoot unless he gets hit and like hurt a little bit you know what i mean there's one fight i can't remember which one off the top of my head but uh you clearly see that the guy lands a perfect punch on grum's nose grum's nose starts pretty much leaking uh and you see him sure to take down and get it successfully so he is pretty well versed uh you know in being able to switch up the game when he needs to i think he's gonna have a tougher time getting uh gamma down though uh so even if he get does get hurt or something like that i don't think he really has the take time to look for here i think matthias does a really good job of keeping fights on the feet uh and again he's very well versed off of his back too I think Grum is, you know, he shouldn't be, in my opinion, a plus 245 underdog. I think that's a little bit too wide as well. Um, you know, Gamrat's legit. Don't get me wrong. I think he will win this fight. Uh, but I think minus 290 is a little bit wide. 17-0, cool. But again, this is the UFC now. And again, like I said, with him fighting over at KSW, it gives him solid experience to come over to UFC because he's already seen it's it's technically their big show. You know what I mean? The UFC is another big show. But to, to fight in an organization like KSW compared to like LFA is completely different. You know what I mean? LFA, you can tell it's like regional roots MMA ksw they do the they do all of it the bells and whistles like just watch one of their events and you'll see right off the bat that these guys do not fuck around when it comes to production and i think that truly allows them mentally to have an edge when they come over to the ufc and especially with him fighting another ufc newcomer i think that's going to allow him to have a little bit of an advantage there but 
Uh, I truly think the confidence will be on Gamrod's side. I think he's going to go out there, pick apart Garam from the outside, uh, switch it up if he needs to to take it to the ground and really work his ground game as well. But I think this is a solid spot for Gamrod to win. Minus 290, though, I'd rather just sit back and just watch this fight uh, from the outside. Uh, But yeah, I do like Gamrod to win this fight via decision. D. James Krause versus Claudio Silva. We got minus 185 on Krause and plus 160 on Hannibal Silva. The over-under is at 2.5 with the under being plus 125. Let's start off with D. James Krause, who's coming off a super short-notice fight against Trevin Giles. Uh, That was a fight where he had actually shown up to fight week four, uh, or at least to corner Yusuf Zalal in Zalal's UFC debut. And uh, Trevin Jaws, I'm trying to, let me see who he was supposed to fight, but his opponent had fought, oh yeah, it was Antonio, uh, yeah, Antonio Ohio, uh, who had fell ill on weigh-in day, and James Cross was there like, you know what, I'll weigh in, let's, let's do this thing. So he does it, and he goes in there and actually fights Trevin Jaws in a very competitive fight, and again, a fight that he had no training camp with. So that was very, very impressive, you know, in my opinion, and he had uh, a solid case in terms of actually being the one that should have deserved that victory. You know, I mean, there's a lot of uh, suspicion regarding uh, Giles's, uh connection with one of the judges who actually scored round one for him, which seemed a little bit, you know, like blasphemy. You know what I mean? Uh, that round one seemed pretty clear to be a James Krause round. But regardless, Giles comes out on the uh, winning end and uh, James Krause comes out on the losing end. Uh, before that, though, he was on a four-fight winning streak over Tom Galicio. This was after his ultimate fighter um uh, I believe it was the comeback so, uh, season, but he beats Galicio, Alex White, Wally Alves, and Sergio Moraes, uh, the last two of which were uh, finishes. Very, very impressive. The guy has good timing with his uh, with his striking. He's very well, uh, like a very sound on the feet. Um, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu too, which is something a lot of people overlook, uh, especially coming into this fight. A lot of people are, in my opinion, are overlooking that. Uh, but he's a great all-around fighter. He's been fighting since 2007 as well. So that's another thing to keep in mind here. Uh, this is going to be his 36th fight. So that's another positive for him in terms of being able to see so many different types of uh, fights and different types of uh, styles. Um, and he's still 34 years old, so he still has uh, a solid, you know, a couple of years, I'd say one or two more years uh, to, to to really make a run. You know, I mean, it feels like he's really coming into his own. He's always been like a middle of the pack type, type of guy. Uh, but I feel like, you know, recently and even in some of his recent fights, we see him talking a little bit more. You know, his confidence is really starting to uh, get on the rise. Uh, so I think a lot of people are, are, are excited to see him fight when, when he does because he brings a little bit of entertainment to, to some of these fights as well. But in terms of an actual fighter, great striking, great timing, solid footwork. I love the, his ability to mix in calf kicks as well, too. I think that's been something that a lot of his uh, recent game planning has uh, revolved around. I see it being the same thing here with Claudio Silva if he's able to chop that calf uh you know early and often it should cause Claudio Silva problems in terms of being able to close the distance and getting this fight to the ground now I don't think this fight is a complete write-off if it does hit the ground especially with Claudio Silva on top I I believe in James Krause's ability to you know stay out of submissions uh stall if he needs to um you know we've seen fighters uh, like the Leon Edwards, like Danny Roberts as well too, who were able to survive on the ground for that first, you know, one and two rounds. 
Um, obviously, Leon Edwards it went to a, a three-round decision, but Daniel Roberts got caught in an armbar in that third round. Uh, apparently, it was a verbal tap. Um, the, I wish they did a little bit more investigating into that because Daniel Roberts was protesting it, um, and they never really gave us a replay in terms of listening to the cage audio, so we didn't really hear that either. But, you know, Roberts did a good job in terms of being able to uh, to reverse positions, to get out of submissions. Um, and we saw the gassing of Claudio Silva, like, heavily depleted. Like, that's one thing that's very evident in his fights. When fights, you know, get into that second or third round, he starts to huff and puff a bit. But for some, somehow, he's still able to get fights to the ground. But I think that this is the first time he's finding a guy that has the, the fight IQ, uh, you know, the range management uh, and the level of jujitsu that James Krause has. So, yeah, Claudio Silva's, you know, 13, 14 fight win streak right now looks very, very impressive. But you got to also take into consideration for his fourth last fight was against Leon Edwards back in 2014. He took roughly a four-year hiatus, and now he rattled off three straight uh, wins and three straight fights since May of 2018. But still, that's in a year and a half to have three fights. You know, normally you guys have about three fights in, in a year. So it's obviously a little bit closer, and he's had a couple of unfortunate, like, fallouts. Ramazan Aviv, he was supposed to actually fight in August, and then Cole Williams steps in on short notice. Um, but yeah, it's been over a year since we've seen Claudio Silva in the cage. He's 38 years old. You know, cardio is only going to get worse. There's no way we're going to go out there and see Claudio Silva go out there and be fucking, you know, used as a law with his cardio or, or be... Um, Tony Ferguson with his uh, with his cardio or anything like that. His game is based on grappling, getting guys to the ground, and squeezing, trying to finish submissions. If he's not able to finish those submissions, the guy's going to gas himself out, just as he has in these uh, past fights. You know, I mean, fights that go late don't really favor him, but again, somehow he gets these takedowns. A part of me is feeling like he's not going to be able to complete these takedowns against James Krause later in the fight. It's all, in my opinion, I think it's Claudio Silva in round one or not at all. I think Kraus is well-versed enough on the ground that once Claudio Silva starts huffing and puffing, especially in that second and third round, it's going to be easier for Kraus to either reverse, get back to his feet, or stay out of submissions. Now, I know that early, it's still early in the week. I know that we're getting a lot of people that are you know, placing the money on Claudio Silva, and I can kind of understand why the line uh, is appealing, especially with it being so wide. So, which is why I'm going to take the safe approach. I'm going to wait it out. I'm going to wait for that Claudio Silva money to come in, let that James Krause line get a little bit better. And if it doesn't get to a line that I'm comfortable with, I'm more than happy to parlay him with something else later in the card, maybe even um, Jin Young Park. You know what I mean? that's Those are the two spots that I'm really liking. Uh, I think, again, I think Krause is very uh, well-versed on the feet that he'll be able to, you know, pick apart Claudio Silva up there, uh, land some good uh, calf kicks. He's going to have to be he's going to have to be very quick when he's going in and out with those kicks, though, because we obviously know that Claudio Silva does a solid job of catching, you know, knees or any type of leg kick um, attacks and turning them into takedowns. James Krause is going to have to make sure he circles off the cage. Um, it's something that we haven't seen him do to the best of his abilities. Um but again, obviously in that Trevin Jaws fight, the guy's coming in on less than 24 hours notice to, for a fight. Um, I, I think he's going to be much more, uh, much smarter here too. And even in the, the, the Sergio Marais fight, who has maybe Claudio Silva level type jiu-jitsu, uh, I'd say Silva's, Silva's a notch above him. But we saw Marais get uh, Kraus down early in that first round, and he wasn't able to do much. You know, Kraus still is good defensively. People may look into the Gilbert Melendez uh, quintet fight that he had or match that he had, grappling match, and see that it went to a draw. 
yeah, Gilbert Melendez is a high-level jiu-jitsu player as well. And when you're strictly talking about jiu-jitsu, I can understand how James Cross actually goes out there and just gets a draw and is able to, to survive and, and, and do what he needs to do to, to, to even just get a draw. Uh, but this is MMA. We got punches, we got kicks, we got everything else uh, in this game. So it makes it a little bit harder for jiu -jitsu, pure jiu-jitsu guys to pull off their submissions. I think that this is the time that we finally see Claudio Silva take that loss. Uh, but again, the line is, I can understand why the line is a little bit wide. Let's wait for it to come down a little bit and then we'll put some money on James Cross. But uh, I like Cross. Uh, I think he could get it done late too. I could say uh, a third round Kraus KO, uh, similar to the Sergio Moraes fight where you know Claudio Silva just takes so much punishment to the legs, um, to the calf, uh, and then it eventually opens up the hands for Kraus to land perfectly on Claudio Silva. So I'm going with James Kraus here. I know there's going to be a lot of love on the underdog. Bring it on, you know what I mean? But I like Kraus here. Uh, much smarter fighter, better gas tank, better overall fighter too. And uh, a lot of people are overlooking his black belt in jiu-jitsu here. So don't don't, don't, don't get caught up in that. Um, so I'm taking James Kraus via third round TKO. Jonathan Martinez versus Thomas Ameda. We got minus 115 on Jonathan Martinez. And let's note that he actually opened up at plus 130. And now we got minus 105 on Thomas Ameda. The over-under is at 2.5 at minus 120 for the under. Uh, fight doesn't go to decision is minus 150. So let's start off with Thomas Ameda, 22-3, coming off a two-year, coming up on three-year layoff now. It's been a long time since we've seen him in the cage. Um... He was scheduled to fight Alejandro Perez last week. Perez falls out. I believe he tested positive uh, to COVID. Yeah, he did. Uh, and thankfully, they find a solid replacement for him. Maybe not the you know, the smartest decision on Almeida's part to come back to a fight like this, but uh, Martinez is a willing dance partner that should be able to push him to his limits and truly see if he can come back and obtain uh, the glory that he had before his hiatus. Yeah, he was 1-3 before he left. Um, you know, he lost to Cody Garbrandt, beat Albert Morales, then came back and lost to Jimmy Rivera and Rob Font back-to-back. -back. Now, Garbrandt, Rivera, and Rob Font are no slouches whatsoever. Those guys are like top 10, top 15 guys at the weight class. You know what I mean? So you can't really be too upset at losses to those guys. Um, I'm not saying that Thomas Almeida has completely fallen off, uh, nor am I saying that, uh, you, you know, he should be beating those guys or anything like that. But considering his age and where he was in his career, those aren't bad losses at all. Uh, this fight against Jonathan Martinez will really test him. Like Jonathan Martinez, this is also his opportunity to go out there and prove that he's a top 15 guy. You know, uh, you can say what you want about Thomas Almeida's three-year layoff. Uh, so there could be questions regarding that. Uh, but there's just so many unknowns in this fight to really make an educated guess, in my opinion. Um, personally, I'm keeping my money off of this fight. I like Jonathan Martinez. I feel like he's slowly coming into his own, but he has, he doesn't really have a signature win under his record. You know, beating Frankie, old man Frankie Sainz is great and all, but when you're fighting younger guys like Tommy Samoyedo, who were, you know, seen as one of the best fighters uh, up and coming at the time, two completely different situations. Um but the style that Martinez brings will really bring the best out of Thomas Almeida. They're almost mirrors of each other with Thomas Almeida being a little bit more complete in the Muay Thai realm, in my opinion. Uh, and even as an MMA fighter. You know, Martinez does a good job of leg kicks, uh, has solid hands, uses his range very well. But these guys are going to be mirroring each other, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, you know, if this was uh, an active Almeida, uh, even if this was Almeida coming off of his Rob Font loss, 
I probably back Almeida here to be honest, but I I don't like the layout for him. And obviously, it's good for him in terms of the amount of damage he sustained over the you know over that one and three streak that he was on. He did eat some bombs from all of these guys. He got finished twice by Gar uh, Garbrandt and Font. So you got to think that the layoff is good for him. But again, we don't know what tools he's bringing to the game now. Is he going to take a safer approach? Is he going to start to become a grappler and try to use his jujitsu? Is he going to you know, play a point fighting game, just stick on the outside and just throw kicks every now and then and try to enter in and out with a, with a combination? Or are we going to see the Thomas Almeida that we all have come to love that just exchanges in the fire and doesn't really give a shit about what's coming back his way? Uh, there's just too many unknowns in this fight. And... You know, when we were getting Jonathan Martinez at plus money, at plus 130, I'd be on board of saying, all right, let's go with the Martinez train. He's been more active. He's been a little bit more reliable as of late. Um, I wouldn't read too much into a split decision with Andre Ewell because a lot of people underestimate Andre Ewell, in my opinion. Uh, but Ewell's not that bad. You know, his striking is good. And if it's a striking matchup that we're going to get, it's going to be a close fight, especially with an up-and-comer like Jonathan Martinez. So I'm not thinking that's too big of a flack on Martinez's record. And he probably deserved that victory. Who knows? Uh, but I like what Martinez brings: his grit, his 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 heart, his toughness, and his just his ability to to, to exchange on the feet. Uh, his acumen in the striking department is just very very respectful at this time. Um, and again, against a guy like Thomas Almeida, who's coming off of such a long layoff, this could be an opportunity for him to get a proper name under his belt. Um, yeah, this is a tough one for Almeida. I kind of went, like the prize fight, in my opinion, was slightly easier for him to come back to. Uh, but this Martinez one is going to be a little bit tougher. So I am going to side with Martinez. But to be honest, I'm keeping my money away from it. If anything, I would look to maybe bet the under. But even that, I just don't have any confidence on either side here to, to be like, okay, this is where you should be putting your money. So I like Martinez due to activity, you know, not being off for three years and seemingly getting better every single fight. So I like Martinez. I'll take him to win via second round stoppage. Uh, maybe Almeida's chin just hasn't healed up enough. I know it's been three years. I, again, there's just so many freaking unknowns with Thomas Almeida that you can't make an educated guess, at least in my opinion. So, um, yeah, if Almeida's chin holds up and he looks like the killer that he used to be, this could be a rough night for Jonathan Martinez. However, I'm not banking on that to happen. I'm going to go with uh, Jonathan Martinez. However, sorry, last caveat to this. If you are looking to bet Thomas Almeida, wait till later in fight week because there's going to be more money that comes in on Jonathan Martinez, you know, just due to the views that I have. Speaking to a couple other people, they have the same type of views in terms of Martinez. You know, they like him more just because of his progression and his activity and all that. So I feel like there will be more money coming in on Martinez as the week goes on, which means you'll get a better line on Thomas Almeida later in the week. So let's go with Jonathan Martinez to win this fight via TKO in the second round. Uh, but I really, truly have a hard time grasping what's actually going to happen in this fight. Jimmy Crude versus Modestus Bukowskis. We got minus 350 on Jimmy Crude and plus 290 on Modestus Bukowskis. So let's start off with uh, Bukowskis, who's coming off a victory, or a weird victory, I should say, uh, against uh, Andreas Mihalaitis. Uh, that was uh, back on Fight Island as well uh, in July. And that was a, a fight that was put together pretty quickly as well. Um, I Yeah, Mihalaitis actually stepped in on short notice after, after Vinicius Mojeda uh, withdrew. Uh, and uh, that was one of the fights I 
actually didn't break down for that card. Um, I was kind of like peeved at the the level of competition that was coming into the UFC, and it just seemed like the UFC was kind of scrambling uh, to get any talent they could to fill out some of these cards, uh, considering the whole COVID era. But now that we're a little bit further removed from that, um, you know, looking at uh, Bukowski, I'm still kind of underwhelmed at this point. Looking at him and 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 going through uh, his fights, uh, he's pretty much losing up until the point his opponents give up not give up but like lose you know what i mean uh like the the martin uh nielsen fight uh, that was a fighter five and zero going into that fight uh and seemed to have a strong wrestling base and was able to get Bukowskis down pretty much every single round uh and was keeping it competitive enough on the feet to not get knocked out and then it came down to uh later in round four where nielsen uh succumbed to travis brown style elbows uh after modestus Bukowskis was doing a good job of staying on his feet up against the cage and then just decided to rain down some elbows from on top and then got the finish that way and the ricardo nasilgia fight kind of the same thing where he got taken down but got back to his feet and then finally uh landed a beautiful elbow to to, to get the victory there uh and then the michalaitis fight same thing you know uh trying to trying to stop a takedown and landing some elbows uh from the back and uh it really shook up michalaitis um you know they were legal shots that that seemed to be the the uh the the concern uh but he seemed really rattled from it so even if he hadn't you know uh gotten the fight called off in between rounds uh just because he like backed up and then uh you know fell out of the cage not knowing that the cage door had opened uh i feel like he probably would have got finished early in that second round because he looked really shook up like i'm not sure if that one minute of rest really was going to help him that much uh he, he was complaining about it a lot uh and, and yeah he he looked really uh roughed up from that but you know that was a pretty even fight leading up to that uh they're training calf kicks uh but uh, Bukowskis you know as much as I have kind of sort sort of shitted on him uh for this breakdown he has decent striking you know he has solid kicks he's a big dude thick dude uh good good enough striking but it it seems like uh, most of his opponents really want to get him to the ground and then try to finish him or, or or at least ride top position luckily for him his durability has held up so he's allowed to he's able to survive those onslaughts and then come back afterwards and and get the finish and wins on his own uh but i think he's in a little bit for a tougher ride against jimmy crude uh when i looked at this fight initially in terms of the the line i was like why the hell is jimmy crude such a huge favorite and then once you actually start actually start to do a little bit of digging you kind of figure it out you know jimmy crude in his first couple appearances in the contender series in the ufc we saw him really play on the feet and and land a couple good shots and show off his discipline striking solid kicks solid power down the middle when he throws his punches but we saw in his uh fight against uh Mihal Olesheyjuk where he's able to get the fight to the ground and really start to do work and Olesheyjuk did a good job of getting back to the feet but it's the the resiliency of Jimmy Crew to continuously go for the takedowns there was one point where he just you know he settled on the fact that Olesheyjuk was going to continue to get back to his feet so he struck with him a little bit and waited for Olesheyjuk to overcommit on a combination and he just took the fight to the ground and had a lot of success there and then he was able to pull off the uh, what was the submission that he got oh the Kimura that he got from there so I'm not expecting uh, Crew to go out there and Kimura Bukowskis or anything like that but I think that he will look to get this fight to the ground and try to control Bukowskis from on top um 
that's where I think that crew has the best shot of winning this fight. Uh, you know, his stand-up is uh, passable enough to be able to stand with Bukowskis because Bukowskis isn't really anything special on the feet, in my opinion. The guy throws with a lot of heat, don't get me wrong, but it's not like he does anything special that makes him stand out amongst other strikers. Uh, he He's getting by. You know, some of his uh, wins on the regional scene are a little bit sketchy and a little bit will make you be like, all right, what the fuck? But... Uh, you know, this is a solid test against Jimmy Crude, and I completely understand why Crude is a big favorite now. So I might even be looking at Crude as a possible parlay piece here. Uh, you know, he, he should go out there and get the victory here. Uh, I'm not sure how anybody could justify really saying that Bukowski has value at the line that he's currently at. Uh, but again, it, it's going to come down to... Uh, you know, Kroot, again, being good enough on the feet to kind of hang there. But then when he wants to get this fight to the ground and start to implement his jiu-jitsu, that's where I think he'll start to really show that he's the much better fighter here. So I'll go with Jimmy Kroot to win this fight via submission. Uh, probably second round, I'd say, maybe first or second round. Uh, don't quote me on that. But I think he does get it done by taking Bukowskis down and uh, sinking in a submission. It is interesting to note also that uh, the second last loss that Bukowskis does have on his record is... Uh, 18 second heel hook uh, to Pavel Dorotia. Completely butchered that name, but you guys know what the fuck I mean. So uh, that was only, uh, that was four years ago. So I'm interested to see what kind of uh, improvement Bukowski, he, uh, he does have a couple of submission victories on his record after that. But again, I truly believe that uh, Crude is the much better guy on the ground here and it will show once he gets this fight to the ground. So I'm going to go with Jimmy Crude to win this fight via decision. Jessica Andrade versus Catlin Chukagian. We got minus 135 on Jessica Andrade and plus 115 on Chukagian. Let's start off with Jessica Andrade, who's coming coming off a close loss, a split decision loss, I should say, to Rose Nama Yunus last time around. Uh, that was a rematch from when she had actually beaten her for the title way back at UFC 237. And now here she is coming off a loss via decision to her. Um, kind of a similar fight in terms of you know, uh, Jessica Andrade's opponent having to utilize proper footwork and uh, distancing and, and in-and-out movement to be able to go out there and outpoint Jessica Andrade. But it just gets so, so razor-thin and close at times that I don't want to lose any sleep or any sweat or anything over betting this fight. But I will, you guys came here for a prediction. I'm going to give you a fucking prediction. Uh, so we know what Andrade's style is. She's the female John Lineker. She's going to go out there. She's going to wing bombs. If she's going to go for takedowns, she'll go for takedowns. Um, but I'm not sure if she'll want to go for takedowns here against Chukagian, who's, you know, a crafty jiu-jitsu player herself. But, you know, Andrade, it's constant forward movement. It's a pit bull style, just continuously moving forward, winging shots, hoping to land to the body, hoping to land to the head, whatever it is. She wants to dish out damage. Her cardio is good enough too that she should be able to last a solid 15 minutes of doing the exact same thing the entire time. I think her best path to victory if she really wants to change it up a little bit is just clinch Catelyn Shukagian up against the cage and just, you know, slow her down that way. Knee her up against the cage, you know, the dirty boxing, whatever it is. Showcase that she's not really moving and you can land big shots from there. There's also the you know, the path where she just knocks Catelyn Chukagin out. There's that. Or even knocks Catelyn Chukagin down in two out of the three rounds, which should be able to secure her the fight. Um, you know, we saw her very successful against Rose Namajunas in terms of landing big shots. And that's kind of where the tides turned in that third round. Um, but one thing we do need to keep in mind here also is that she's coming up uh, to 125 pounds. And yeah, she has fought at 135 pounds before. So that's 
it's not, you know, nothing is new to her in terms of being able to fight bigger women. But in terms of a size difference here, we're talking about 5'1", Jessica Andrade, to 5'9", an 8-inch height advantage for Catelyn Chikagian. And then 66-inch reach for Chikagian, 62-inch reach for uh, Andrade. But uh, again, this is one of those fights where the reach doesn't really play too much of a factor into it. It's actually the height. Chikagian is going to be, it's going to be so hard for Jessica Andrade to really track her down and catch her because uh, Chukagan does a solid job of, you know, sticking and moving, sticking and moving. That was pretty much her game leading up to that, uh, you know, her fight against Antonina, or sorry, uh, Valentina Shevchenko when she got knocked out. And then in the next fight, she fights uh, Antonina Shevchenko and, uh, you know, pretty much grinds her out. Jiu-Jitsu, just a complete flip of what we're used to seeing from Catelyn Chukagan. I don't think that's the path to victory for her here, though. I don't think she's going to want to go out there and try to take down Jessica Andrade. Uh, however, I do think if she does get taken down, she has crafty enough jujitsu to be able to possibly pull off a sweep uh, and also, um, you know, nullify the amount of damage that's coming down to her uh, from Jessica Andrade. But something, something is just telling me that I should go out there uh, and, and, you know, stay away from this fight but predict that Jessica Andrade is going to win because I truly believe that she will eventually catch, uh, you know, uh, Catelyn Chikagin. Like, she will be able to dish out enough damage in at least two out of three of those rounds because Catelyn's going to have to, like, you know, rack up the numbers. She's going to have to go out there and just pick her apart from outside, stick and move, stick and move. But you're telling me over 15 minutes that Andrade won't be able to do that at least twice. You know, she's been successful in the past before by doing that. And, you know, I know she's up to the challenge to go up an extra 10 pounds. Uh, I know she'll definitely be stronger than uh, Catelyn Chikagin here too. But I don't want to find out. I don't want to risk money to find out which side is going to win here because it's just too tough to call. Um, I'm going to, like, if you're putting a gun to my head and you want me to bet this, I know that it's going to a split decision or more than likely will go to a split decision. So I'm going to side with Catelyn Chikagin as the bet. But in terms of a prediction, I'm going to go out there and say Jessica Andrade actually wins this fight. But minus 140, like if Andrade was the dog, I'd probably take a shot. I lied. I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, I don't want, I want nothing to do with this fight. I feel like it has a split decision riding all over it. It truly even comes down to just what judges are judging this fight. You know what I mean? Some judges uh, score the, the movement and the picking apart of a fighter like Caitlin Chikagian more than a judge that would score Jessica Andrade continuously moving forward and landing a bomb every now and then. Yeah, I mean, there's two different ways of looking at it. We don't know which judges are judging this, nor do we know or have enough data to truly be like, okay, this is the type of judge that's going to go out there and score this type of, uh, you know, fighting style. So I'm not 100% sure, but I will go with Jessica Andrade to win this fight via decision, uh, as I believe that she will catch Catelyn uh, enough to sway the judges. And she could potentially finish this fight too, you know what I mean? She has enough power, and it's not like she's going up a significant amount of weight to to try to you know finish opponents. So I do like Jessica Andrade to win this fight. I think she gets a, she gets, she's going to get the judges nod, uh, but man... I, you have some balls on you if you actually go out there and try to bet this fight and be 100% certain that one outcome is going to happen over the other. But I'm going to go with Jessica Andrade to win this fight via decision. Cyril Gan versus Ante Delia or Delia. I got to get around to figuring out how to pronounce this guy's name. But uh, a Croatian, uh, but we got minus 600 on Cyril Gan and plus 450 on Ante. Um, 
and the over under is not released yet, but the fight doesn't go to decision is minus three hundred five, which I find a little bit interesting. So let's start off with the UFC newcomer. Or right, actually, you know what? Let's go with Cyril Gunn first because I have a couple things I want to get into about Ante when I get over to him. So let's start off with Cyril Gunn, six and zero, burst onto the MMA scene. I believe his first ever pro fight was actually yeah, his first ever pro fight over in TKO was actually for a title. He was heavily touted to the TKO scene, obviously the French having connections with the Quebecois and back and forth. So uh, they, they heard a lot about Cyril Gunn, especially coming out of that MMA factory in Paris uh, or France, somewhere over there. But um, and, and it showed in that first fight. He went out there and won the title within a minute and a half, just over a minute and a half over uh, Bobby Sullivan, who was one and one. Uh, why why they made a, a title fight, especially on a fight now, which wasn't even broadcasted, uh, which kind of sucks as well too. But um, yeah, Cyril Gunn did a solid job in there. Uh, in the Adam Dishka fight, he had a little bit of issues trying to get Dishka out of there. Uh, and his gas tank issues show, or issues sort of showed themselves. And I think after that fight, that's when he really started to put it together in terms of being able to distribute his gas tank a little bit better than he did in that fight. Because, you know, if he didn't finish Dishka in that second round, it could have gotten a little bit dicey. You know what I mean, uh, obviously we know he has great movement, uh, you know, always bouncing on the tip of his toes, uh, does a good job of getting in and out with the strikes. Um, looks like the, you know, uh, a solid Francis Ngannou type fighter, but with much better movement, much better um, ability to manage his gas tank, obviously with experience. Um and just a better overall game. You see him even pulling off some submissions as well, too, which was very impressive. Um, my question, though, is how does he deal with a guy that actually wants to get this fight to the ground? You know, and that's where I think the the, the question that we're actually going to get answered here with Ante Delaya. Uh you know, Delia is very, very well uh, experienced. Seventeen and three, so this is going to be his twenty-first fight. He's fought over in KSW. He's fought in Riz, and he's fought in M1. He's fought in PFL. Uh, he's had a solid amount of experience against top-quality opponents as well, too. Uh, his most recent loss was to Marcin Tybura in uh, September of 2015. But that was due to a leg injury. If you guys went back and watched that fight, very, very gruesome, disgusting injury. Uh, Anderson Silva type. You know what I mean? Gets his uh, uh, kick checked and um, uh, comes back down on it and just it crumples. The tibia just splits in half. It was disgusting. But uh, he did come back roughly three years later, just under three years later, and put together a three-fight winning streak. He beats uh, Ricardo Purcell, uh, Carl Sumantuafa, uh, completely butchered that name, and then uh, Ollie Thompson, all in uh, Risen, PFL, and KSW, uh, the latter of which he actually uh, finished in the second round. Uh, those other two fights, though, those were fights where we saw him saw him put his wrestling uh, chops on display. He was able to get those guys down with relative ease and uh, pretty much just did solid work from on top. The guy's a big dude, too. He's 6'5", uh, 70, what is it, 70... 79 inch reach so Siragan has a slight reach advantage but he'll be dealing with a one inch uh high uh, disadvantage as well for uh for Ante um but again this this is the real test for Gan. you know what I mean I don't want to completely share on the guys that Cyril has been fighting Tanner Bozer is a solid opponent but he's a more of a pick you apart type of fighter and uh with Siragan, he's kind of the same way too but he's just quicker faster more explosive so obviously he's going to win that fight Dante Mays not the greatest of opposition 
Rafael Peso was undefeated going into that fight, but again, we kind of figured out that he's sort of a fraud. You know what I mean? He can go out there and beat a guy like Jeff Hughes, who now finds himself outside of the UFC, but uh, going up against a guy like Saragon, he's completely unmatched. But the other guys that he's faced, like nobody's really threatened takedowns or anything with him. Like we saw Adam Dishka get him down uh, at the end of that first round, but that was more so of a, a slip slash trip. And we didn't really even get to see what would happen if Saragon was on his back, just due to the fact that that you know, that was right at the end of the first round. So we didn't really get to see that play out. But here against um, Ante, I think that we're going to see it play out. And if you're giving me solid amount of money, like plus 450 right now, it's worth a little bit of a stab. Like I'm, I'm, I think a lot of this is hype on Gotten. And, uh, you know, he has shown, he has shown that he's a solid fighter. Again, you don't really see heavyweights nowadays that have the type of movement, have the type of pop and the ability to, to implement the type of game plans that he has at this day and age. We don't see it. Sirugan is the exception to that. But I do want to see the other parts of his games tested. Yeah, we've seen him pull submissions off the top. But what does he look like off of his back? Is he a jiu-jitsu wizard truly off of his back? I think we're going to see him tested here against Ante. Um, Ante, you know, he's a little bit flat-footed for my liking, but I like his ability to, uh, you know, back opponents up and get them up against the, the cage or the ring and try to get them to the ground. And I think that's what, we'll see him successful with that in this fight against Gunn. You know, he, he's tough. Uh, he can take a punch um, and very experienced. Trains over there with Team Crow Cop as well, too. So he has a legend kind of backing him there. Uh, but I like his chances in this fight against Gunn. I think uh, minus 600 is heavily inflated due to his uh, his the hype that's on him, as well as the fact that this is the first fight in the UFC for Ante. So I think the, the line on this is very off if you know obviously if Cyril Gon goes out there and starches him in that first round and just knocks him out right away people are going to be like obviously you deserve to be a minus 600 probably deserve to be a minus 1000 but once you actually start to dig in the tape of Ante his takedowns are solid uh his top control is very solid too um you know if if Ante is able to uh, initiate those grappling uh, exchanges, those, those clinch exchanges, those scenarios where you're making Sirogan work, making his blood pump, making his muscles work. It's going to be interesting in the second and third rounds if Ante is able to get this down and just control Sirogan from on top. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be in for a rude awakening here. I'm actually going to go with Ante. Uh, let the shitting in the comment section below begin. I don't care. I, I, I truly believe that we have a solid dog here in Ante. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to go out there and play, you know, a solid full unit or two units on this guy, but I do believe he's worth at least a half unit poke, especially at plus 450. You know what I mean? You're getting roughly two units back if you if you actually cash that. And in my opinion, I think it's worth it. So I do like Cyril's upside. I think that uh, for me, it's more so questioning uh, the, 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 the flaws that could potentially still be there. We haven't seen anybody attack him from the wrestling side. We haven't seen him any, anybody really go out there and try to take him down. We have on record at UFC stats, Rafael Peseo was the only one to attempt a takedown on him. So now you give me a guy like Antti Delaya who we've seen you know take guys down numerous times and do solid work from on top. Now we get to see what the ground game of Sirogan truly looks like. So I'm taking the shot on Ante here. I'm going to pick him to win too. I think we see him actually grind out a decision victory here too, uh, which is why I think that there's a solid, there's going to be some solid value on the fight goes to decision at plus 225. I'm interested to see what the over-under looks like because this could, even if they line this at one and a half, 
the over looks good. You know what I mean? I think that, again, with the 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 pick apart style of Suragan, who doesn't really seem to put a lot into his punches nowadays, um, and the the durability of Ante, and then the ability of Ante to possibly get this fight uh, to the ground and and prolong it, over one and a half would be the spot. I'm thinking that they'll actually do the two and a half, but we'll see. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent certain about that. Well, I'm, you don't know what these odds makers what they're going to be saying the totals at, but. Yeah, I like Ante. I know I'm going to get a lot of shit for it, but, uh, you know, we'll see if those people making those comments come back around on Sunday uh, to to see if uh, I actually pulled it off. So uh, I like Ante here. I'm going to take him to win by decision. Uh, I will be taking a small shot on him. I'm trying to figure out how much I want to stake. It won't be more than a full unit. Again, when you get such a high return at plus 450 on Ante, you got to take a little bit of a shot. So uh, I like Ante. Um, again, my only concern with him really is like his flat-footedness, but I believe his durability will allow him to, you know, uh, eat a couple of the shots that Gan has up until the point that he's able to push Gan up against the cage, really start to make him work, really start to make him breathe, and then slowly start to get this fight to the ground. So once again, I'm going with Ante to win this fight via decision, uh, and I'm, I'll be keeping my eye on the over one and a half. I, that might still be a play as well. So if it's one and a half, I might hit the one and a half over. Uh, but again, Ante has t- a ton of value, in my opinion, at the dog odds that he's currently at. So we're going with Ante uh, via decision. Time for the main event. We got Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie, against Brian Ortega. We got minus 175 on Chan Sung Jung and plus 115 on Brian T. City Ortega. Let's start off with the Korean zombie, who's been on a roll since he's came come back from the... Uh, I believe he had a hiatus with the army after his Jose Aldo fight way back in 2013. He took roughly three and a half years off uh, to do his mandatory commitment to the army over there in Korea. Uh, came back, finished Dennis Bermudez in the first round. Lost a very close fight to Yair Rodriguez in a fight that he was uh, pretty much one second away from winning a decision, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he did a really good job of beating up Yair Rodriguez for those five rounds. Uh, slightly back and forth fight with a little bit more of an edge to John Sung Young and then Yair Rodriguez lands probably one of the greatest knockouts of all time um, and that's saying something especially what we just saw with Joaquin Buckley over the uh, over the weekend so if you haven't seen that knockout of Yair from Yair Rodriguez on Green Zombie I would highly suggest you go do that um, so solid victory for him there uh, then he go or sorry so unfortunate loss for him there it should have been a victory one second away from a victory I'll say uh, and then Hanato Moikano and Frank Edgar he dusts both of those guys in the first round uh, and has looked amazing you know I mean he's really turned a corner since coming back from this military service and achieving you know heights that not a lot of people thought he was going to be able to achieve he's still 33 years old which truly makes me believe that he's still in the, his peak of his career in the pinnacle of his career so if he's really going to make a title run this is probably the time for him to do it and this is a solid opponent for him you know name wise uh maybe not the best uh decision for brian ortega to come back after such a long layoff but to get this victory under chan sung Yung's belt would be very very impressive for him uh yeah it's a it's a solid spot his striking has looked good his wrestling has looked good um you know his, his jiu-jitsu looks on point as well too um but we know in this fight against ortega it's pretty much going to be him picking part of Ortega from the outside and hoping that he doesn't get this fight dragged to the ground. You know, unless we see Ortega go out there and go for like Imanari rolls and land some sort of Hail Mary submission, I think that this is going to pretty much be a one-sided beatdown. We got Brian Ortega on the other hand, who we pretty much know his game. You know what I mean? He tries to 
pull you into this grappling game however possible whether it's jumping jumping for guillotines uh you know pulling guard whatever it is uh, he's going to try to get this fight to the jiu-jitsu realm where he seems to thrive most um last time around he was on he was unsuccessful in doing that against max holloway when he challenged him for the title uh back in december of 2018 uh i believe that was the last fight that i've actually seen live which kind of sucks because I like watching live fights. But either way, uh, you know, solid performance from Max Holloway there. Really picked apart Brian Ortega and then got that late finish after round four. Um, Brian Ortega, you know, he showed so much durability, so much grit. And durability is something that he shows in pretty much all of his fights. Pretty much every single fight leading up to, you know, this Max Holloway fight, he was taking a beating for those first two and a half rounds before pulling off a third round submission. He had one... One, two, three, four straight fights where he got a finish in the third round. In fights that he wasn't doing that well leading up to that. You know what I mean? And then after that, he uh, chokes Cub Swanson in the second round. And then he uh, finishes Frankie Edgar with a beautiful uppercut, which led to punches uh, in round one. And then that obviously earned him his title shot. Um, we don't know what to expect from Brian Ortega now. You know what I mean? He's been off for two years. It's been a solid two years since we've seen him in the game. Uh, you know, what has he done in terms of working on his striking? Because that's clearly the weakest part of his game. I'm hoping that he took this entire time to just work on his striking, whatever the fuck it is, Muay Thai, boxing, kickboxing, anything that will allow him to open up his grappling and wrestling game a little bit more and not just, you know, hope to get fights to the ground. Um, you know, if he's able to shore that up, Similar to how Gilbert Burns has done that. You know, Gilbert Burns was known as strictly as a jiu-jitsu guy. Very, very strong jiu-jitsu, but he needed to find ways to get the fight to the ground. And now, look at him. He's going out there and outstriking Tyron Woodley. He's having very, very tough performances and good performances against high-class guys. You know, outstriking Gunnar Nelson, who seemed to have a striking advantage at first. Um, you know, he's making those progressions. And Brian Ortega needs to do the same thing. Otherwise, this game is going to catch up with him. And once he really starts fighting that upper class of the, of the featherweight division, he's really going to start to feel it unfortunately for him this is not the type of fight to come back to after two years you know maybe the layoff is what he needed after that type of beating but still like it's it's a very very tough go for him to to go out there and fight a guy like korean zombie after this layoff uh, zombie clearly has a better hands his activity has been nothing short of amazing um you know it's it would be nice if uh you know, Chan Sung Jung actually had a little bit more as well. Obviously, the COVID thing really fucked everything up. But his last fight was December of last year, so he's approaching about eight months since he has last. Or sorry, ten months since he's fought. Um, but still, I, I truly think his uh, his um, activity recently, um, his ability to go out there and, and just starch guys, uh, and, and that's one thing that I think I really want to touch on. Uh, the over under is set at two and a half. And I truly think the over one or two and a half has a solid value. Uh, you know, one thing that we can always rely on Brian Ortega for is his durability. So I think that it's going to take a lot for Chan Sung Yun to really put Ortega out. Unless Ortega looks completely shot and just completely mystified in terms of being back in the cage, then it's going to be a long night for him or, or a short night for him, I should say. But if his durability is even somewhat there, you know, we should see Chan Sung Yun take a little bit more of a technical and disciplined approach to getting, uh, you know, a later finish. Unless, of course, Brian Ortega again goes out there and pulls off a flying armbar or something like that. I highly doubt we see that happen. But I do like Chan Sung Yun here. 
Minus 175, not too bad of a line. I, I don't mind it. Maybe a possible parlay piece. Uh, but yeah, I do like the Korean Zombie to take this fight. Uh, I'm going to say fourth round TKO, third or fourth round TKO. His striking is just going to be too much for Ortega. We know Zombie's uh, cardio is good too. We obviously saw that in that five-round war against Ayer Rodriguez. Uh, and then we know Brian Ortega can go for a while too. But again, it's it's the accumulative damage that's going to catch up to him if he doesn't hone his striking skills. So um, the only thing that makes me slightly skeptical is what the changes are that we're going to see from Brian Ortega that he possibly has made in those last two years. Kind of like the Thomas Almeida thing. Like we don't know completely how much improvement they've made in this time off. Uh, but And then obviously using it live in ring is different than actually drilling it in the, in the gym with his uh, training partner. So... I like Korean Zombie here. I'll take him to win via fourth round TKO. Uh, and yeah, this, this again, very, very difficult fight for Brian Ortega to come back to. Uh, but, you know, shout out to him for actually being able to, to step up and take this main event spot against a very, very dangerous Korean Zombie. But once again, I'm going to take Korean Zombie to win this fight via fourth round TKO. And that's a wrap for this episode. Man, it, it feels good to finally get an episode out nice and early. It feels really good. I know it's Tuesday. I normally do Mondays or used to do Mondays in a long, long time ago. But uh, we're slowly getting back to, to pacing ourselves to getting back to a Monday drop. I know a lot of people really enjoy the fact that we dropped nice and early in the week. So I will be doing that as of next week for UFC 254. We will have an early drop. It will also be my 100th episode. I'm going to be doing another episode between now and then. Uh, just kind of recounting the the decline that I had mid last year uh, and kind of analyzing that and giving you guys a little bit of a breakdown of that. And then that will allow UFC 254 to be my 100th episode, which I have a fantastic surprise for you guys. I can't wait to drop that episode. I'm very, very proud uh, of what I got planned for that. So can't wait for that to happen. But yeah, after, so this will be the last podcast that comes out on Tuesday. And then starting with UFC 254, we are back to Monday podcasts. Now, in case there's anything that drops uh, or, or any fight changes during fight week, only my Patreon members are going to be able to get those breakdowns. Obviously, I'll tweet out what my thoughts are on them. And even on like the comment section, I'll you know write in uh, for YouTube and my podcast, I'll write in the comment section who I'm picking in terms of who, once the, the, the matchups have changed or anything like that. Uh, but in terms of the actual full breakdowns, that'll only be available to the Patreon members. So once again, like I said, at the top of the podcast, Check the description below, whether you're listening on YouTube or uh, listening on uh, a podcast platform. I have the link in the description below, five bucks a month. You guys get early access to breakdowns, all the official picks, a best bets and props article, um, all the goodies, everything. And you guys are helping me achieve uh, the goal and dream of being able to do this full time because I'm really fucking close to it. And you guys are really, really helping me out. So I appreciate that. Uh, if you haven't already, make sure you hit the subscribe button below, hit the like, do all that stuff. And also check me out on Die Hard MMA's podcast. I just finished up with him. That was a very, very fun uh, podcast to do. Me and him have great chemistry. Uh, I love the guy. I, I'm glad that he brought me on. Uh, and hopefully that you have possibly watched that podcast and come over to this podcast. And you've probably heard me see the exact same thing that I said on that podcast, but it's all good. I appreciate you guys watching it anyway. All right, I'm going to shut the hell up. Appreciate you guys watching. And as always, hit the subscribe, hit the like. Good luck on your best this weekend. And I'll see you guys actually later this week for uh, my breakdown video of my handicapping history from mid last year. So hope you guys enjoy that. All right, good luck on your bets. And I'll see you guys later this week. Bye.